and uh, we're going to continue on just in that little series that we're doing in this uh, little book, uh, this book before the end, Jude. And when you get there, if you will, just for a few moments, just stand for the reading of God's Word. And we'll start reading from verse 1 uh, down through into verse 7. So Jude, verses 1 through to 7. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ uncalled, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Lord, we just pray that you would bless your word, and Lord, that you would speak to us tonight. We thank you for the privilege that we have, Lord, to gather in this fashion, Lord, with the liberty that we have to open your word, and Lord, to break the bread of life. So Lord, tonight, anoint your word and speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's take your seats together tonight. Amen. We've already gone through just a couple of uh, lessons and introduction and then uh, the call for to contend uh, for the faith as uh, we read there, as Jude was ready to write about the nature of salvation. Then the Holy Ghost comes and uh, uh, directs him to write concerning uh, what was taking place in the church then and what has been taking place in the church ever since this is a letter to not any specific date or people. We know it's to the church, but uh, this was to apply to every generation because this would be an ongoing battle within the church of Jesus Christ. And when you look at the oversight or the structure of these 25 verses, um, what you begin to notice when you take the time just to look at it and just to study it and then to read through it and read through it again, what you notice is that Jude... Uh, he actually writes in threes. There's three sections to the overall structure. And then within that, you'll find even within one, some of the verses, he lays things out in threes. He seems to make a point and then backs that point up with three examples or, or, or laying out the structure in three ways. So the first an introduction as what we have looked at is those first four verses in the overall structure of the letter. And then the middle section, which is verse 5 through right through to verse 16, 
then he deals specifically with these false teachers and gives examples and goes through uh, different things within that. And then there's threes within that. We'll come to that. And then the last section, verse 17, you see him address the church again. But beloved, then he again encourages the church, closing out with the benediction, which most people know uh, the benediction of Jude, but very little else of the, of the letter. But now on to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present your faultless before the presence of of his glory with exceeding joy, the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. What an end to this little letter. But we pick up uh, tonight on verse 5, and here he begins to deal specifically with uh, these false teachers. Now, this little uh, series, this title tonight, is just simply the subtitle is Stealth, teachers, stealth teachers. And here he opens up in verse 5 saying, I will put you therefore in remembrance. He's wanting to recall to the remembrance of the church three examples concerning these men that have crept into the church. In verse 4, he says, for there are certain men that are crept in. If you just look at that verse, for there are certain men crept in unawares. The Greek word for crept in or crept men crept in is a word that is simply pronounced as parastuno, which simply means to settle in alongside or to lodge stealthily. So that's where the title has come from, stealth teachers, that they would come in and come alongside the church with false doctrine and the distortion of uh, the doctrine of grace, and not only the distortion of the doctrine of grace, but it will also lead them even to deny uh, the lordship of Christ, that he is Lord and he's Lord over all. You know, this word stealth, uh, immediately most of us probably think of stealth bombers, and the United States Army have spent billions upon billions of pounds in developing uh, their stealth bombers way back in the 70s, they developed a, a bomber, the B-2, I believe it is, and they spent literally billions of dollars to try and develop uh, this aircraft that had a wingspan of 172 feet. It can fly all over the world at the speed, just under the speed of sound, uh, with only having to refuel once. It can reach any city right across this world with its deadly weaponry. But what's most deadly about uh, the B-2 is that it was stealth. In other words, with all the advancements of the antique aircraft uh, uh, apparatus that they have across the world, this bomber is able to go in unnoticed in any city of the world right across this globe, and it's able to fly through every defense, and it's able to drop its bombs, its deadly bombs, in any city across this world. It is known as a stealth bomber. Bomber. And here, here Jude is talking about these men that would creep in unawares like stealth. They, they would come in alongside and they would begin to distort one of the most precious doctrines that we have, that is the doctrine of grace. You know, it tells us in John 1.14 that Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. It was grace and truth. And so these men would seek to distort 
this particular doctrine. And what you find is this is nothing new. This is something that has been going on in the church for centuries, that men seek false teachers, false prophets come in with false doctrine in order to distort this wonderful truth that we have, the doctrine of grace. More so today than ever, in the day that which we live in, we see that uh, we see the rise of so many, uh, I suppose you could call them shooting stars within, within the whole Christian uh, setup, particularly in the West more than in anywhere else. We see these young and often very gifted communicators rise up and all of a sudden there's crowds that are flocking to hear this uh, new communicator, very able, great conferences, huge auditoriums, all the, all the show to go with it. And then people are spellbound by their new revelation that they have uh, concerning grace, concerning uh, the victory and the freedom and the love and the mercy of God, which we all believe in, but then it's a distortion of the truth. And so what happens is, and what is happening, and you'll note this, is that these personalities are, are raised up and thousands of people will flock to them. They'll have their books. They'll have all their information and, and so forth. And then what they hold is conferences and everything else. And pastors, teachers, preachers will attend. And then they're influenced by these men that have come in alongside the church to make merchandise of the church. And they begin to share their new revelation often on the great doctrine of grace, the hyper-grace movement, the free grace movement, the unconditional grace movement. And so we see what happens then very quickly after that is that because they've influenced so many of those that would stand in the pulpit then, they go back with this new revelation. And sadly then what happens is they begin to share what they've heard and what they believe is a new revelation concerning the things of God's word. And then what happens, friends, is the fruit of that begins to develop over the months, but it's often the years. It's not just in the moment, but then years later we see the fruit of the distortion of the doctrine of grace begins to manifest itself in the church of Jesus Christ. It's not the present, but it's in a few years' time when you see often that these shooting stars have fallen or disappeared, and all of a sudden they've left a trail of immorality, a trail of brokenness, a change has come right across the church of Jesus Christ because of the influence of these new teachers with new doctrines, and they come in by stealth, and they sit alongside and they preach. Yes, parts of it you would say, I believe that as well, but it's the distortion even of the truth. And it's so deadly. And then this is what Jude wants to say in verse 5. And I want you to just consider this for a moment because it's so sobering that Jude is going to take examples from the Old Testament and he's going to bring them into the new covenant that which we are in and present these as an example to the new covenant believers. And so he begins with, he says in verse 5, he says, I would therefore put you in remembrance Though ye once knew this, know ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. 
So here's the first of three examples that the Lord begins to bring out, or Jude begins to bring out concerning the change or the distortion of this great doctrine of grace. See, these men would, the Bible says they would turn the grace of God. It wouldn't happen in just one go. It would be a persistent work to turn that which was so precious, the grace of God, into lasciviousness. They would ultimately come to the place where they would deny the Lord himself. It didn't begin that way, but the influence would lead them to that place. Lasciviousness is unbridled lust, that there be no restraint in the church of Jesus Christ. There be no restraint in behavior. There would be no restraint in what would take place in the church. There is no reverence. Reverence is replaced with a very much a casualness. And so eventually you would see that the church nearly becomes unrecognizable. Actually, the church looks like the world. That is what we're actually seeing take place at this present time. It didn't happen just in one night, but over a process of time with doctrine, a distorted doctrine coming in alongside that which was the truth, then it had an effect upon the church. And many leaders then have gone for a new way, a new hour, a new age. But brothers and sisters, it's the old ways, the Bible says, and it's the old paths, and it's the, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the gospel of the kingdom, and it's still the power that's in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's still the born-again experience. It's still a, an old-fashioned baptism in the Holy Ghost. It's still the songs of victory and the songs of Zion that lift the spirits of God's people and glorify the Lord. But these new ways have influenced the church so profoundly. So what we see is then with the turning of this grace is a license really ultimately it leads here, but it didn't begin here. So that's where the danger is. It doesn't necessarily begin here, but this is where it leads to because they turn the grace of God over a period of time into unbridled lust. And so what happens is then we see that there's a change in the environment. There's a change in the conversation. We'll see this in a moment. There's a change in conviction. There's a change in conduct. There's a change in many ways that come into the church by the turning of the grace of God. And so we have witnessed in our generation, even from the year 2000 to now, we've seen a dramatic change that has taken place in the church of Jesus Christ. And what happens is then the restraint is lifted under the banner of this wonderful doctrine of grace. We have the grace movement. We have the hyper-grace movement. Right even to the point, and this is where this becomes to become dangerous, right to the point now where you'll hear phrases being said from the pulpits that no longer does a believer ever need to repent. Repentance is, is taken out even of the gospel. All you need to do is believe, and once you believe, that's it. It's fine. You believe because he's done it all, and you're free. Now, we all believe that he has done it all, but it's a distortion of the truth. It's a distortion of of the biblical doctrine of grace. And so what we find is then that believers, and this has been said from many pulpits, that believers do not need to repent, that believers do not need to keep short accounts with the Lord, that believers do not need to walk in the light. 
that believers don't have any responsibility to live anyway because we're under grace and we're all free. Well, I thank God we are under grace and I thank God that we are free. But then they begin to distort the truth of God's Word. In Titus chapter 2, if you turn over to it, we'll read just a couple of verses concerning grace and bringing the balance of of this great doctrine uh, before you tonight. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says these words, For the grace of God, Titus 2 and 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. This is the grace of God teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. This is what the grace of God will do. This is what it will teach us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live, what does it say, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what the grace of God teaches us. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no man despise thee. It's very clear what the grace of God enables us to do. It enables us to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, that we're to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. This is what the grace of God is. But the modern grace or the hyper-grace lifts any restraint or responsibility upon the believer to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. It brings a dramatic change in a person's conduct, in a person's conversation. I'm talking about believers and in a believer's conviction. When this new grace or hyper-grace or unconditional grace as it's known when it creeps into the church, it turns the grace of God into lasciviousness, lifting all the restraints where the church then behave and live like and look like the world itself. But that's not the grace that the Bible teaches us of. The other thing that I mentioned there was that then there is the removal of repentance or keeping short accounts with the Lord. And in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, if you would turn over to it, again we see the distortion of truth. But in 1 John 1 and verse 5, it says these words, 1 John 1 and 5, This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, 
And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Then verse 9, it's a very important verse. But if we confess our sins, isn't the Lord faithful? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. See how important it is to get a right balance when it comes to the doctrine of grace, to live a life that's pleasing unto the Lord. From verse 5 through to 19, Jude begins to address these men directly, and he uses these terms. You'll find it right through. He, he refers to them as these are they, right through these verses from verse 5, right through up to 17, he refers to them as the these or the they. In Jude chapter verse 8, there, if you just go through it uh, briefly with me, but in Jude 8, he says, these filthy dreamers, listen to the language of Jude, what he, how he puts it across. These filthy dreamers, in Jude 10, verse 10, he says, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. In verse 11, he says, they have gone the way of Cain. In verse 12, he says, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds, they are without water. In verse 14, he refers to Enoch the seventh from Adam. He prophesied of these that they were foreordained to come and infiltrate the church. In verse 16, he says, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. Verse 19, he says, these be they who separate themselves. And here Jude begins to lay out the examples of these men and warns the church of Jesus Christ, looking at these Old Testament examples. In verses 5 to 7, we see the three examples that he lays out. And the first of those then, he says there in verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Here's the first example. He takes this. It's so serious because if you consider it for a moment, that actually Jude has taken Old Testament examples under an old covenant, under Moses and under the old principles and the old dispensation, he's taken the examples out of that and he brings them out of the old and brings them right into the new. It doesn't seem to fit the narrative of what many people believe and preach about the new covenant and the hyper-grace movement, but he takes these examples and says, listen, this is very important. And God looks upon it as something that's very serious. And this is what he says, Luke in verse 5, he says, how that the Lord, having saved his people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that did not believe. The first example then is Israel being delivered out of Egypt, his desire to bring them into the promised land. And now he's presenting these examples to us. It was Winston Churchill that said, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And we're so prone to follow after the examples that are laid out in Scripture. And so they come as a warning to us. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you turn back over to it, we see that Israel are often lifted up as an example to us as believers. They're there for our warning, for an example to us, not to go that way, but to walk this narrow way with the Lord. But in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes these words, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did eat all the same spiritual meat and did drink all the all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ but with many of them God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness And then he says, verse 6, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, even as they also lusted. So here he brings again, Paul brings it out, Judah's bringing it out, this Old Testament example of Israel, God's purpose to bring them out and to bring them into the promised land. It was only two that came out of Egypt that actually made it into the promised land. The rest were destroyed in the wilderness. And what is Jude bringing forth, he's saying, this is so serious how God views this, that when men begin to change the doctrine of grace into lasciviousness, and they lift the restraint upon the church under a a new revelation or a new doctrine that encourages people to live any way they want and do whatever they please, and to remove those old landmarks that have always been in the church of Jesus Christ, when men come into the church by stealth, and they begin to plant into the church these doctrines, uh, these doctrines of devils that bring people into, into, into condemnation. Then Judas saying, this is how God views it. He wants you to remember what he did with Israel. That's how God sees it, how that he destroyed an entire people in the wilderness. Then he goes to the second example and he says, I will... He also says then in the, in the second example in verse 6, And the angels uh, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. I mean, it's, it's powerful language. What he's telling us here is that there are angels that rebelled against God. They left their first estate and currently... They're being held, reserved in everlasting chains. Right at this present time, there are angels that rebelled against God. They're being held under darkness until the great day of judgment. Right at this very moment, God holds them in that place reserved for the great day of judgment. We know he's referring, of course, to Genesis uh, chapter 6. If you want to turn over into it for a moment, and I know that creates a lot of debate about this chapter and what exactly went on and there's parts of it are maybe beyond our understanding but we'll read it and just present it as it is and and then we see that this is what Jude is referring to this is the second example in Genesis chapter 6 he 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 read we read there in verse 1 and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth And daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God, they were angels. They saw the daughters of men that were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. 
were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. I know there's a lot of debate and focus and study on what exactly this is, but we know here that there was some type of intercourse between angelic beings and the daughters of men producing some form of hybrid uh, individual giants, the Anakims and so forth. But that was completely against the order of God. And so God has held these angels that came down and left their first estate. That might be difficult for us to grasp, but if you go into Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels were pressing against the door that they wanted to take, the, the, the homosexuals, the sodomites, wanted to take the angels that they might know them, that they would have a, a sexual relationship with them. And so this is, this is difficult for us to grasp, but these angels, the point is, the point is that these angels are held to this very present moment. Bible tells us there in verse 6, they did not keep their first estate but left their own habitation and he's reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. Now think about it. What are we talking about here? We're talking about men that distort the doctrine of grace. It's not just a case of, well, you have your opinion, I have mine, and we'll, where everybody's happy and everything's fine. When we start to really change these great doctrines and we begin to mess with them and add into them and bring our new thoughts and our new revelation, let me tell you, friends, God looks upon it in a very serious way. That's why he's pointing out the children of Israel destroyed in the wilderness, angels that are held in everlasting chains, waiting for the judgment of the great day. And the third example then he gives is the example in verse 7 in Jude, it says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. I mean, it's so serious. Now, here's the three examples. Israel in the wilderness, the angels that left their first estate, and Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the fire and the judgment of God. And he says, now listen, this is what Jude said. I want you to listen to me. These men that have crept into the church of Jesus Christ with these false teachings and doctrines, and they're going to distort the grace of God such a profound way that it's going to change. This is what it's going to do. It's going to change. We'll look at it when we come to it. It's going to change the conversation of the church, how people speak. It's going to change their conversation. You know, it's such a blessing tonight. You know, Nicky will share. But we sat on each side of that bed to sit with Isla and sit there and to talk about the things of God and how God saved her from a wee girl, how God's kept her and the faithfulness of God and God's ways and God's path and God's blessing and God's hand and God's provision and the faithfulness of God and what it is to walk that, that narrow path, to walk it as a child of God with God's grace in your life and the help of God and to look on to the Lord and believe God in these days in which we're living. It's such a blessing to talk about the things of God, to talk about the Lord, to talk about Him. What we're finding today, friends, is that 
it's very difficult and present company excluded because I know we're blessed and I believe that we all see where we are. But it's very difficult to find so many people who profess to know the Lord today to even get them to talk about the Lord. They talk about everything else. They'll talk about a new book or a new thought or a new way or a new revelation or a new CD or some new person that's uh, that's going a storm all across the churches in America and everyone's flocking to hear it and everybody's there and they have the, the whole set up. They all match it and the songs match the, the message that they bring. But I want to tell you, friends, God looks upon it in a very serious way. He says, here's some examples I want you to remember. Those people that were destroyed in the wilderness. God did that. Those angels that left their first estate. God is reserving them for that great day of judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah. Look what he says. He said here, he, he came upon them suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. God looks upon it in a very serious way. So here's three examples. He says, I want to put you in remembrance. What's he referring to? Remember what he's referring to. He's referring to the grace, the doctrine of the grace of God, that you begin to turn that grace and you begin to turn it into lasciviousness, that you can lift the restraint and change how the conversation, the conversation of the church, it changes its conversation. The next thing it does, it changes its conduct, how the church conducts itself. You know, brothers and sisters, we have seen dramatic change dramatic change in the church of Jesus Christ. Things have changed. Why? I believe it's never because the devil's greater than the church. We've looked at it in the first couple of lessons. Jesus said he'll build this church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But when doctrine creeps in on the inside and men creep in unawares alongside stealth teachers, and begin to change these great truths. Remember, he was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. When those doctrines begin to be changed, it's the conversation, it's the conduct, and then it's the convictions of the church. What a day we are in. What a time we have come to that the convictions of the church have so dramatically changed. Convictions that we were born with. Convictions that we once held dear. And we see now the restraint has been lifted off. And now those convictions are mocked from the pulpits even across this land. They will mock the old-fashioned convictions that our parents had and that our grandparents had and what the church traditionally had. There are good traditions that we hold to. But today... We have lifted the restraint. How did that happen? How did that take Is that the devil? It's not the devil, friends. It's men that have crept in by stealth to distort this wonderful doctrine of grace. Are you glad for the grace of God? I'm so thankful for God's grace. But he's full of grace and truth. And it's the balance of the grace and the truth of God it's the balance, it's that false balance which is an abomination that will bring a destructive, a destructive spirit even into the church of Jesus Christ. God, keep us on the narrow path. Keep us to appreciate your word. Keep us in the word. Keep a healthy balance concerning the doctrines. But keep us looking on to Jesus, the author 
and the finisher of our faith. These three examples Jude lays out for us all to warn us that in these last days, as those false teachers creep in, Lord, keep us in your word. Keep us faithful. Keep us in prayer. Keep us together. Keep us focused. Lord, we pray, help us to walk this world, to be pleasing to him first, to honor him in everything, and to stay to the book, and to stay true to the book in the days in which we're living. Let's pray together.